0: For many, the coronavirus crisis has been just that, a crisis. Unfortunately, many of you have lost their jobs and their income during this difficult time. Some of you might be worried about where your next meal might come from, and some of you are worried about maybe even losing your home. We get it, and we don't want to undermine what you're going through at all. Nevertheless, could it be, just maybe, that this crisis is actually your turning point from losing your job to finding your work, you've just been given time to think, lots of it, and this could be what God will use to launch you fully into His work for you. In this episode, we'll be looking at how you can go from losing your job to finding your work. Are you ready? Let's dig deeper.
1: Welcome to the Thriving On Purpose podcast hosted by certified coaches Elizabeth and Sebastian Richard. Elizabeth is a Christian life and leadership coach, branding consultant and busy mompreneur. Sebastian is a Christian speaker, Bible teacher, author, and leadership expert. Together, they help today's committed believers to dig deeper in their knowledge and walk with God in order for them to grow and climb higher in life and leadership. If you want to dig even deeper, make sure to visit thrivingonpurpose.com for more free resources and content. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Thriving on Purpose podcast. And if you haven't subscribed, I encourage you to do it on thrivingonpurpose.com. You can sign up to our email list and get notified when we um, put out a new podcast every week. So this week's topic is really, really interesting. And it's a topic that's more appropriate than ever right now because so many people are losing their jobs Or even questioning the jobs that they're going to go back to. I think this is a real, um, you know, this has been a time where a lot of people have been doing a lot more pondering, um, thinking about the end times, thinking about, you know, what am I working for and is my job really worth going back to? Um, Is my employer really gonna have my back and take care of things for me? And I think they're realizing, you know, that a job is a job and um, when it's not there to pay bills, it's a big problem, and uh, that there's no security in the world that we live in right now. Mm-hmm. And so this is um, a very, very important topic, and it's something that uh, we have um, researched a lot and and studied through our personal development journey. And I'm really, really glad that Sebastian's gonna explain this to you guys because we're not talking about, You know, necessarily going in the mission field. We're not talking about becoming a pastor. We're talking about finding your assignment, finding the work that God has assigned you to do. Mm. And so, um, Sebastian, just dig in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think you make a really good point, mentioning basically that uh, more than anything, this crisis has proven once and for all that there is no such thing as job security. Even putting those two words together is an oxymoron now. I mean, we have the proof right now with everything that's going on, there is no such thing as job security. And so let me start by asking our listeners a question. Whether you did lose your job or not, here's the question I want to ask you. What has been paying your bills this whole time? Was it you? Was it your boss? Was it your job? Now, be honest now. Has your job ever been enough to fully pay your bills? For only a very small percentage of people, the answer to that question is yes. For the vast majority, the answer is no. That's why so many people have debt because their jobs just doesn't cut it. So, let's be frank here and and let's just face the facts. See, the problem is this. Most of you have more faith in your jobs or your government rescue checks than you do in God. Now, let me ask you again. If you are a kingdom citizen, how do your bills get paid? If you still think it's your job, you're proving to me that you have no idea what it means to be a kingdom citizen. Let me be clear. As a kingdom citizen, it is God who pays your bills. Unfortunately, you've been so busy with your job that you have lost sight of that fact. Right now, You've been given something you always avoided for the longest time. For most of you, you have been given time to think and lots of that. A lot of people are having, are finding that they have too much time to think at this point. They're kind of going bonkers. You see, you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. Jim Rohn was right when he said that. Everybody is given 24 hours in a day. That's what we're given. It's a limited resource. And what we're finding out in the midst of this crisis is that this is giving a lot of people time to reflect. I have seen uh, posts on social media from people that I never would have expected to have deep thoughts. I mean, I have friends on my friends list that, you know, they just love to watch TV and they... They keep abreast on the news through CNN, and they, they don't question much. But somehow, through this crisis, they started to think, and it shows. You see, crisis ignites reflection, inspiration, creativity, and innovation.
1: And I'd like to add to this, I've noticed that you know there's two kinds of people in this kind of situation. We have people that are really stressed out because, you know, uh, their employer has cut down their hours or they've, you know, weren't able to work. And some people are just alarmed by that and won't become innovative and creative on how to make income from home. Now, a lot of people will just stay in that stress mode and just be waiting and, and r- listening to the news every moment of the day because they're like hoping this, this is going to end so that they can go back to their job and go back to finding a normalcy in that regular paycheck. And other people are thinking, you know what, this just proves to me that I can't rely on the government. I have to be self-sufficient. I have to be self-reliant. How am I going to do that? And they're asking God for solutions. They're praying and asking God and looking for opportunities to get work and looking for different ways that they can use their skills that they already have, that they considered hobbies. Now they're considering, hmm, how can I make income doing this? Because this thing might last way longer than I I thought. So I think it's really creative. I mean, it's really great to see how some people are becoming creative, are becoming innovative in a time like this. And you know what? I think that these people are going to... are gonna get valuable lessons through this time because they will continue. They will continue to uh, you know, either invest in real estate, either um, in, you learn how to invest in the stock market or use their skills to make extra income on the side so that they're never put in that position again mm-hmm. where they're at the mercy of the government.
0: It's so interesting what you bring up Liz because ironically, by being taken out of their box, their usual box, which is their their job, their job people are starting to think outside the box
1: yeah and they're so actually starting yeah and that's why we did a blog post this week uh, you know basically talking about the you know what to avoid when you're looking for an online business because we know people are searching and uh you know we're blessed and fortunate we were entrepreneurs we've been working from home for Uh, a while now, and uh, that's been a true blessing to be with our family, to be able to, uh, you know, make our own, carve our own time, make our own schedules, and I encourage you uh, to check out that blog post on uh, our Facebook page, Thriving on Purpose. Um, I give you more details about how to look for the right kind of online business.
0: We'll post it in the show notes.
1: Exactly. So, continue what you were saying?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, before we go on, I would like to take time to differentiate the word job from the word work. Because I've noticed that these words, although they are oftentimes used interchangeably, in reality they are nothing alike. And I want to, this is what I want to do here in this episode, is really help people understand the difference between a job and their work. You see, your job is given to you by men. Your work is assigned to you by God. Your job can be accomplished by anybody, anybody who's properly trained. Let's, let's be clear. Your work requires the use of your specific gifts at this specific time for a specific purpose. So in other words, you are replaceable at your job. You are not replaceable at your work. Your job is most often seen as drudgery. Your work is seen as a pleasure. Here's another thing. You wouldn't do your job if they didn't pay you, but you would do your work even if nobody paid you. Your job employs you, but your work deploys you. Your job gives you a salary, your work gives you worth, and I hope I'm I'm really setting the stage here. I hope I'm really making you understand the difference between your job and your work.
1: Yeah, and he's kind of going fast, so go back, rewind, and, and write it down. Because so yeah, sinks these in. are it's profound. Very important.
0: These are profound thoughts I'm sharing here, and uh, I, let me be clear: for some of you, and I think it's a minority, but for some of you, your job actually is also your work. There are some of you who got really inspired when they went to university to pursue a degree because they were passionate about it. And it shows. I mean, when we deal with you people outside, the people who did that, it shows that your job is also your work, or your calling, or where God wanted to put you. Yeah. But that's a minority of people. For most people, their job is not their work.
1: Yeah, and I just want to add uh, to that because for some people, they might be unclear, you know. Like, obviously, we need nurses, we need doctors, we need people that, you know, had the heart to study to do these things and wanted to do them. But most of all, that they genuinely felt called to doing it. That's the difference because, for example, I mean, you've all been in a hospital where you had to get treated for something. Or you had to bring your kids to get treated to the hospital and you can tell right away the nurse that loves what she does Yeah, the nurse that loves what she does will do everything to make your kid feel comfortable Um, She goes out of her way. I mean you can just tell when that person when it's a calling It's so obvious when a doctor loves his job uh, when he loves what he does when he loves his work uh, you can see that he studied a lot. And I know because I ask a lot of questions. I'm that kind of person. So when my daughter went for a surgery, I had to know about this. And I had to know about this. And I'd ask questions. And I can see a doctor that loves what he does because he'll say, he'll give me the information I'm looking for. And so it's not just you know general stuff that they just repeat You know, he's done his studies, he's done his research, and he has more to give me than the general whatnot that any general doctor would give me. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference, is that you can see those that do it because they just, you know, it was a good decision, it pays well, let me just go through the motions and study this and do the job because I can do it okay. And the one that's going to go and excel and be innovative in his Lane and actually bring forth new things to medicine, mm-hmm. you know, innovative, creative, you know, all those things. And nurses, you see that in the teaching field as well. The teachers that are called to be teachers are very different from the teachers doing it because it pays well.
0: Oh, yes. They're such. A so I just difference. wanted
1: you to see that difference. Now, the question is, if everybody had found their calling, their assignment, and had really gone with not does it pay well, but went with what do I think that I, my strengths and my, my passion. God given passions and mm-hmm. abilities, that God's given me my qualities and all that together, my strengths, if I were to pick a profession that would actually excel those strengths, would bring them forth, would bring them to light. Now, do. If every nurse that actually was called to be a nurse was a nurse, now don't you think that the hospitals would be a nicer place? Yeah. Most of them would have smiles on their face. Most of them would make you feel like you know you're welcome, and you'd actually feel reassured and in security when you're there. Mm-hmm. You know. So did you see the difference here. If everybody was supposed to be where they're supposed to be, it would be a lot a, a much different environment than what we know today.
0: And that said, I just wanted to say a big shout out for all of those regardless of if, if it's your calling or not who are working in hospitals right now during this crisis. Yeah. I mean, obviously uh, it's been tremendous stress upon them and their families. They've been doing more hours.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, it's, 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 a bit, it's a big burden right now for those who work in hospitals and in uh, healthcare. So a big shout out to all of you guys. Thank you for your service. Thank you for what you're doing. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. I wanted to get back to talking about work or maybe just the word work. You see, the word work has gotten a bad rap for many people because we associate it, like I said before, to our jobs, right? Because our jobs require us to work. (laughs) If we mistake our jobs for our work, or if we do not know what our work actually is, we end up seeing work As a curse, okay? Jim Rohn said it, and he was right when he said, If you don't design your own life plan, in other words, if you don't find your work and develop it, chances are you'll fall into somebody else's plan. And guess what they've planned for you? Not much. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta be honest with you, I'll level with you guys here, okay? For the longest time, I considered work a curse. I didn't like my job. I had to work hard at it. And as a result, I saw it as a curse. So I equated it with the curse, in my vocabulary, the curse of Adam. I hated my job. Now, what's the quote-unquote curse of Adam? Well, if we remember, after they took the fruit, God told the serpent... Eve and Adam the curses they had brought upon themselves what is called the curse of Adam is found in Genesis chapter 3 verses 17 to 19 where it says to Adam he said he that that means God because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you you must not eat from it cursed, Now, most of us are familiar with this passage. As a result, many of us think, well, painful toil and sweat is my lot. In other words, work is my curse. That, pay very careful attention, that is a lie of the devil. Work is not a curse. It was the ground that was cursed for Adam's sake. The ground was cursed and became very hard to cultivate. It wasn't work that was cursed. It meant that in order to get fruit from the ground, we would have to work much harder. Besides, what is the first mention of work we read in the Bible? Well, aside from the work that God did in the seven-day creation, that's the first instance of work we, we read in the Bible, but the second one, when it comes to man, is found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So you see, Adam had a work assigned by God. And that was what he was supposed to do. So he was supposed to be in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. It's very interesting. I once heard a saying, I think it was Miles Monroe who said, that God does not send growth where there is no management. And we know that in the garden that the fruit were growing, vegetables, all kinds of good things were growing in that perfect setting. But God put a manager there. It needed to be managed Just a side note. So man was made to have a work. Work is good for man. A work with a purpose. It keeps man busy with an assignment from God. It gives him a a sense of worth and accomplishment. You see, God doesn't want you busy with the wrong thing. He doesn't want you merely on a job. He wants you working the work you're supposed to work. He wants you at work in your kingdom assignment. He wants you to stay in assignment no matter what. And I have the scriptural proof to prove that. In other words, once a man or woman finds their work, God reveals to them what they were put on earth to do and they have a passion for it, and they're excited about doing it, and they start doing it. God wants that. So God will not want you to replace your very important work with merely a job. In other words, if you have found your work and you know what you're supposed to do, but you delay in doing it for all kinds of reasons, most of the reasons we find for ourselves are financial. Oftentimes we're going to be like, well, I can't pursue my passion because I don't think it's going to pay the bills. Says who? I mean, if you're a believer and you really have a burning desire in your heart that you know God put there for a certain work and you decide, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to find a job, a a nine to five or whatever. And I'm going to concentrate on that because I feel more, quote unquote, secure there. You're basically neglecting your assignment. That's a huge problem. And God doesn't want you to be outside of your assignment. Once you find it, once he reveals it to you, he really wants you to stay on point. And I have the scriptural proof, like I said, and I'm going to share it with you. So one of the scriptural proofs is found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. It it really sets the stage. So Liz, would you sh- uh, please read that?
1: Sure. What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own.
0: I love this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. So many times in my life, it has realigned me with what is essential in this life. Because so many times, by the way, if you hear screaming in the back, it's not the disembodied spirits of ghosts haunting our podcast. It is actually just (laughs) our children who are home right now and playing together or whatnot. Um... But what I'm trying to say is we live in very uncertain times, very troubling times. And I think this passage of Scripture is such a powerful anchor for believers, such a powerful anchor for kingdom citizens to get back to what really matters. And I love how Jesus phrases it because he knows what we tend to worry about. And he goes into the three things, right? Food, clothing, shelter the main things of life and he's saying to us, hey, make sure that you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things that you worry about, you won't have to worry about them anymore. Yeah, They won't matter anymore because you will be focused on what your heavenly father wants you to be focused on and therefore you will become very valuable in your role and what you're trying to accomplish and you would become a vessel that he can actually use. And once that happens, believe it, he will make sure that you're fed, that you got water, food, plenty, clothes, shelter, and that you'll be fine.
1: Yeah, he really wants us to focus on him first to show him that he's the priority in your life. And we tend to sometimes do the opposite. We, we tend to worry about the things we don't have. And then only when we're in, a, in abundance and we have what we need, then we're like, okay, life is great. Everything's great. Now let me focus on God and let me pray and, yeah. and thank him and thank him. But, you know, it's also about putting him first and focusing on learning about his kingdom and uh, making that a priority in your life. And then everything else falls into place.
0: Yeah, and what better time right now in this crisis where so many people uh, are either stuck at home or lost their jobs or basically have a lot more time right now than to re-anchor yourselves by meditating on the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, particularly, uh, particularly that portion we just read uh, in chapter 6, which I don't, I, I, mean, I don't know if I have a favorite scripture or passage of scripture. But this would definitely be in my top three for sure. The Sermon on the Mount, especially chapter 6, this portion where it talks about anxiety, to me was hugely helpful because guess what? I wasn't always this calm. <laughs> I used to be a nervous wreck growing up. I was so insecure. I had, I, I was a, a believer who had very little faith, who needed to be reminded of those things frequently in order to... Breathe, breathe. I was such a nervous wreck growing up. I had all kinds of stresses and psychological issues and anxiety that assailed me at many different times, especially in my 20s. So I had to learn this, and that's why I'm emphasizing this right now. So that's the first thing. I I think it's important to anchor you guys in this difficult time. But another scriptural proof that Jesus wants you to be In assignment, is found when Jesus feeds the 5,000 with his disciples, okay? We're going to read that passage. There's a couple places it's found, but I'm going to take the one in Mark. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. Liz, would you read that for us,
1: please? Sure. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd so he began teaching them many things by this time it was late in the day so his disciples came to him this is a remote place they said and it's already very late send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat but he answered you give them something to eat they said to him that would take more than half a year's wages." Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000.
0: That's fascinating. See, the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So how many people were actually fed that day is questionable. We don't really know how many were fed. Uh, I know in the synagogues the women were not admitted to hear a teaching that were like kept uh, in the back. So I don't know if women were admitted to in, in, in a rural setting if in, outside like this, but we can suppose there was a lot more than 5,000 people. But it's such a fascinating account Especially the part where the disciples are giving like a a two-faced question when they when they when he says, "You give them something to eat," it's funny the way Jesus does that because he's also mindful at this point that he's training these twelve or these seventy, depending on how many were there. But he's, he's they're in training right now for what's going to happen once he once he leaves and goes to heaven. So he knows they're going to be the ones perpetuating the church and solidifying the church yeah. and everything. So you'll give them something to eat. And their reaction, their reflection is one completely bound to what we call the earth curse system. They're thinking, they're thinking in, in, in a job and wages and money and what, but Jesus is thinking kingdom only. He is under a different authority, different government, where all things are possible, and they're still thinking, earth curse system, this is impossible, or if it is possible, it's going to cost so much, or it's going to require us to, 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 we're going out of our minds here, this is nuts, because they did have a treasury, and they they had some money for for their needs, and their, because Jesus made sure they were looked after, many of them left their families to follow him, he wasn't... Gonna let them starve. So he, he made sure there was a treasury and they were uh, looked after. So they were worried at the same time about their own, you know, they're, they're like, yeah, but what about us? Kind of, <laughs> if we go to the villages and spend that much on these people, that's half a year's worth of work. What's gonna be left for us? What's, and they didn't verbalize that, but, and it's so fascinating all the components that have to do with this particular questioning of the disciples. So he's thinking in terms of kingdom, and they're thinking in terms of earth and very humanly. So it's very interesting how they think. But the whole point is, hey, you don't have to be out of assignment. Stay here with me, and I'm going to show you what, what you're actually under here, what you're doing with me. Because if they had gone to get provision, they, was a, they would have missed a whole incredible lesson about the kingdom of God and about their assignment. Jesus is keeping them with him because he doesn't want them out of assignment. He wants them trained under his tutelage and he wants them to get this because it's so important. Because if you don't get faith, if you don't get how the kingdom operates, if you don't understand faith, you're going to be very inefficient for the work that Christ and God has for you. Okay? So that's the first thing. So Jesus kept them with him in assignment. He didn't send them off. They didn't need to go buy stuff or go even say, we're going to go work a couple of days and come back. No, stay there. Do this. And wow, one of the greatest miracles in, in the whole New Testament. And later, also in Mark, it's very interesting There is yet another miracle of multiplication of bread to 4,000 people. And the disciples were with Jesus. And it happens in Mark, and it's in chapter 8, verses 14 to 21. And the text says this The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. And Jesus, as he always did, was teaching them, meanwhile, while they were in the boat. He says, Be careful, Jesus warned them, Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And when he said that, they discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. And aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? So basically, Jesus is saying, what does this have to do with the price of tea in China? I just told you to be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod, and you're thinking that I'm saying this because of you have no bread with you? Because we know in another part of scripture that when Jesus said, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees, he was saying, be careful of the teachings of the Pharisees, okay? So they're like, oh, he's saying this because we have no bread. So then he adds, he says, Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? In other words, there was the multiplication of bread and fish for the 5,000. Now they just came back from another one, such miracle, of 4,000. And then he keeps going, he says, Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And this is very important. I'm going to pause here. There were twelve apostles. There were twelve baskets left. This is not a coincidence. Jesus, like I said before, was teaching his apostles A very important lesson. In other words, each of you will be looked after. You have nothing to worry about. One basketful each, after everything was said and done. So, and then he says, And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, Seven. He said to them, Do you still not understand? Now, I'm going to ask you a question, dear listener, dear friend. Do you still not understand? This question is not just for them. Yes, they were privileged. Yes, they saw the miracle firsthand. Their eyes saw it. Their minds were blown on sight. We may not have that privilege. And yet, if I were to ask each and every one of my listeners who are believers right now, to tell me a miracle that God has done in their life, at some point in their lives, some kind of providence miracle, each and every one of you would be able to come with more than one. And me too, and my wife too, we have had these miracles, these types of providence miracles that tell you, hey, do you still not understand? In other words, all you need is mustard seed faith. Before this episode, it was funny because I was teaching my kids about that mustard seed faith. And to make a point, we have a, we have some mustard seeds here in the house. And I went to get some and I gave them each one. <laughs> <laughs> they probably lost them already because it's so tiny. But I, they opened their little hands and I dropped mustard seed in each hand. And I said, see, this is all the faith you need to tell a mountain to get out of the way and throw itself in the sea. I don't think they understand it because Jason was like, well, that's all I need. I'll be fine. And like, <laughs> You'll see it's more challenging than you think. Actually, for, for me, what, ha- what ended up happening is that on the one hand, yeah, we think that. We're like, well, that's nothing. That's all I need. That's nothing. And yet when it comes to time to put it in practice, we realize that, whoa, if I didn't get the answer to my prayer, what does that say about my faith? I don't even have mustard seed sized faith. I have grain of sand faith. What's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> and yet, I didn't want to ruin it for them because he's a kid, right? So he probably does have more faith than I do because mm. when, when we're children, we don't doubt as much. We just we're sold in, and we don't we don't see it the same way. But uh, <laughs> I kind of smiled because I was like, "Well, you, we'll see, Jace. Like <laughs> you'll you'll learn, right?" And and it's all it's a work in progress to get the mustard seed size nice faith. Is a process and it's not given to everybody. So, and that's what Jesus is basically saying to his apostles, like guys, you've seen the multiplication, you've seen the kingdom you're under, the assignment you're under, who you're working for, you've seen what how how you're looked after, and you're worried because you forgot to bring bread? Really? And he was, you can see that he's disappointed with them and I can I can I get it. I mean, obviously. So another one, another passage in the scriptures where Jesus makes a point of keeping someone in assignment is found in Matthew chapter 17 verses twenty four to twenty seven. It's a very interesting account and and I remember the first time I read it, my mind was blown. It's not as grandiose as uh, the multiplication of bread or the raising of Lazarus, but it's nonetheless. Pretty freaking amazing. So Liz, would you please read Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 to 27?
1: Sure. It says, After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes, from their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first catch you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours.
0: Wow. Wow. And wow. I mean, there's so much we can say about this. So it's a short story, very short account, but man, is it packed. Peter, Peter comes into the house and Jesus is the first to speak. So he already knows what happened outside. That's the first thing, which is fascinating. And then he asks him a, a question. He says, from whom do the Kings of the earth collect duty and taxes from their own children? Or from others, and Peter answers, "From others, obviously they're not going to tax their own kids." And Jesus, obviously, the temple is his; he is the king of the universe. He is the the king, and, the, and Peter is in his kingdom. So Jesus says, "Then the children are exempt." So he's basically looking at Peter, saying, "So you you should be exempt from this too, like you know, because you're under my kingship, and this is for my temple, so you should be exempt." So but Jesus said to him, "But just to make sure we don't cause any offense, we're still going to pay that, because we don't want to be um, seen in a bad light for our testimony. Go out, cast your line. And Peter was a fisherman, obviously he was going to catch something. He was used to it, right? And the first fish you catch, look in its mouth. there's going to be what you're looking for, and you can pay both my tax and your tax. It's an amazing account. I mean, it's an amazing miracle in itself because Jesus, it's, it's like the, you know, when there's a miracle catch, all these fish jumped in the net, but this is no less impressive because it's the right fish that bit on Peter's bait. It could have been any fish. No, it says that the first fish that comes to bite is the one basically that I summon.
1: Yeah.
0: And I know there's a coin in this fish's mouth. Imagine that, the foreknowledge. It's insane. It's not insane because it's Jesus. It's awesome. But it blew my mind. I remember the first time I read that I was like, whoa. Well, I hope it does the same for you. I hope this short account does the same, has the same impact for you. Because this is the kingdom of God in action. In its in, in all of its glory. This is who you're working for. Do you understand now? Or like Jesus says, do you still not understand? You will be looked after in this crisis. And this pause, this time, might be a time to realign and finally find that work, that special assignment that God has for you. Finally, another good Bible passage that is so encouraging to believers in times of need, and times where uh, we're worried about where's our sustenance going to come from, like I said in the beginning, it's going to come from God. And if you thought it came from anywhere else, you you just don't get it. Okay? If you thought it came from a job or your boss or the company you work for, you don't understand this. Your sustenance will come from God. See, the Bible says that the one who assigned a specific work for you, who wants to deploy you, that is God, The Bible says, my God shall supply all your needs with riches and glory through Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4.19. And he will. But for that, you need at least mustard-sized faith. And you need to understand who you're working for. You need to understand where everything you need will come from. It's not going to come from Trump. It's not gonna come from Trudeau. It's not gonna come from the big corporation you're working for, the small corporation you're working for, the company you're working for, your boss or a promotion. It's gonna come from God. You know I really liked uh, one of the teachings of, of Miles Monroe. He was talking about difficult times when people fall on hard times and that was like maybe 15 years ago but it's still relevant today. Especially today where so many people lost their jobs and uh, he, he was saying, I'm not worried. I wasn't worried when I had a job, if I would lose my job or things like that. He says, because I knew where my sustenance came from. I knew where my provision came from. And I knew it wasn't through my job. So he says, if any one of you loses their job, what you should do is go to your boss's office and say, thank you for activating my government. And I laughed because in a way, that's what many of you are going through right now. You're in this process of shifting from faith in the government or faith in your job or faith in your paycheck to faith in God. And although this process can be very stressful and painful, it can also be very, very, very fruitful for you. Now, you might be wondering, how do I, if I, if I don't know my work? If all I've been doing is a job and I don't know my work, obviously you need to find your purpose, right? God has a calling on your life. He's got a work specifically tailored for you that he wants you to do, a place where he wants you to be. And you're going to need to seek him incessantly until you find that place. And what better time than now when everything is basically quieted down and most of you have more time than you know what to do with than to seek Him on your face, and maybe fast if you have to, pray, listen to our podcast episode we did... Uh,
1: finding Your Purpose.
0: About finding your purpose. We'll put it at the bottom of this episode in the show notes. You can just click there, click to the episode about how, to, how do I find my purpose. I know it's helped a lot of people who've listened to it. But there's action steps that you can do to get to shift from losing your job to finding your work. And it's a process. And it might not happen overnight. For some of you, it might. For some of you, it might be in a dream. God's going to reveal it to you and and good for you, fantastic. But for most of you, it's going to be a process through prayer and introspection and even asking people around you. You're going to get confirmation from God and from people and from your own passions, what what lights you up, what ignites your soul.
1: I definitely encourage you to listen to that podcast that we did on how to find your purpose. Um, It's going to give you some good guidelines, good questions to ask yourself to to start this journey. But I I want you to understand, you know, in this podcast when we're talking about, uh, you know, your assignment, and we're talking about all these verses showing you kingdom. I know for some of you this may still be abstract. And so, I want you to understand that right now, the difference is that before, when you were comfortable in your job, in the the, the work that you were doing, uh, working for whoever it was, you were having faith in your job, okay? And so, God knows that. God knows that you had faith in your job for providence, for money coming in to pay your bills. And so, when we have faith in our job and we ask God for our needs, it doesn't really work that way. That's not how you activate your government. That's not how you activate kingdom. When you have faith in God as your government and you understand that your job is basically just what you're doing right now to to get some um, income coming in but that's not your real assignment. That's not what God has called you to do. Uh, Your faith, you understand that it's God that controls all things and that when you do get a paycheck, you know, it is from God that you get this paycheck and everything else that you have around you comes from him. When you understand that, that's just like secondary. That's just like a basically like a vessel that God is using. Yeah. But you understand that, you know, if you're in a crisis and you really have that faith activated And you really truly believe that he is the provider of all things then you know that if you do run out of food he will provide it he will send an angel to get you food that's the difference yeah and i know for some of you you're like huh yes if you can you you can pray to ask god to send an an angel to bring you food if you're in that kind of situation and he'll do it but you have to have the faith activated the faith to really believe that He is your sole provider.
0: Amen. And, and another thing that I've noticed that people tend to do, believers uh, in North America, and countries where the economy is thriving and they're listening to us right now, they lose their job, they fall on their knees, and they ask God for another job. That's yeah. what I've noticed. And even in my church, that was what, that's what was taught to me, and that's what was taught generally. If someone lost their job and they were at a prayer meeting, they would say, I lost my job. Please pray that I find another job. Nobody ever said, I lost my job. Please help me to find my assignment. Because people don't think that way. They don't understand. And they think, they think, I'm seeking the kingdom above all things because I go to church on twice a week or I read my Bible every day. No. Seeking the kingdom first means that you desperately want God to show you why he put you on earth and that you're willing to do that very thing no matter what that's the difference and chances are it's not for a job he didn't put you on earth for a job unless your job like we said in the beginning of the podcast is connects with your calling
1: And that's why I think that, you know, entrepreneurship has a big role to play in this. Um, I think that it really gives you the freedom to do what God has assigned you to do um, because he will show you creative ways of uh, creating wealth. And we did a podcast on that, your God-given ability to create wealth. Yes. You can go back um, on our site. Actually, we...
0: Actually, we encourage you to go listen to that episode. It was life-changing for many people.
1: Yeah, God, uh, your God-given ability to create wealth yeah. um, is on uh, thrivingonpurpose.com. And I really encourage you to, to listen to that because you're going to understand. We did quite a few episodes on wealth and how all that puts, is put into place. And it's just because right now you've been so dependent on the government. You've been so dependent on your job to basically get the fish for you that you don't know how to fish and so this is really gonna change your way of thinking Uh, God has given you the ability to create wealth and if you sincerely ask him and say Lord I know you know I don't expect money to fall and from the sky and money to end up in my mailbox but I know that you can teach me how to fish Mm. I want you to teach me how to fish he will teach you how to fish and he will use your strengths and your given abilities and you'll be able to to do to follow in that assignment that he has for you, and so um, I again I encourage you to to chat with you, with us. We're available. You can write to us at info at thrivingonpurpose.com. Um, you can go see our Facebook page, Thriving on Purpose, and also um, we've started a Facebook group. It's a free Facebook group, and uh, we're adding content in there, and it's another way for you. Uh, to get in there and ask us questions, and we'll be glad to answer them. Um, Sebastian also has his underground Patreon. Uh, So on the bottom of every episode in the show notes, you can see uh, how to become a member of the underground, which is becoming a Patreon if you want to get exclusive content that Sebastian is preparing for those that really want to dig so deep that they want to go underground that's why we called it that way. Um, he's adding a lot of value in that uh, account. So yeah, he-
0: and it's exciting for me because sometimes when I do the Thriving on Purpose podcast, I I hold back. I am like, oh, I'm not going to say that it could offend certain people. But in the, in the underground, I uh, I don't hold back much to be honest.
1: <laughs> exactly, and it's very inexpensive. It's like nine 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 dollars and ninety nine cents a month, or nine ninety seven, something like that. And uh, you can have access to exclusive content that we don't uh, give out free on our podcast. So I hope that this podcast has blessed you. Be blessed.
0: And thrive on.
1: For more free resources and content, make sure to visit thrivingonpurpose.com.